we keep remembering that samsara and, and nirvana are the same things <laughs> in your daily life. Yeah. Well, of course, when we say they're the same thing, I mean, they're, they're total opposites, but when we say they're the same thing, we mean that the experience we have of human beings can be experienced, it can, can be subjectively either nirvana or it can be samsara. Samsara is the cycle of continued becoming driven by craving. And nirvana is the uh, uh, unconditioned ultimate reality that is experienced when craving ceases. Nirvana is the succession of craving, and uh, or, yeah, so the ultimate reality, uh, which is free from suffering, is what you experience. But that which your your body and mind are um, occupying as a reality is the same, whether you experience it driven by craving or where you experience it from the extinction of craving. And so that's what it means to say that nirvana and samsara are the same thing. That here we are right now, here, here you are. And you, you have a, this collection of perceptions which is unique to you and I have mine. We each have our own collection of perceptions that make up the reality we're in at this moment. And the collection of perceptions that we're having right now is determined by all of our cumulative mental formations. So whatever sensory experience arises in the next moment or the next or the next or later today or tomorrow is going to be interpreted on the basis of all of our accumulative, uh, accumulated uh, mental formations. And so we're going to have a particular kind of perception in that moment. And if what determines the nature of that perception is uh, affected by desire and aversion and ignorance, then we're going to experience it as unsatisfactory, uh, as, uh, as something that we wish to change or escape from. And so as a result, we will keep launching ourselves into the process of, of, of becoming, and that's samsara. So if, if you're absolutely, completely happy with uh, if you can accept the isness or suchness or thusness of what is in the moment without craving, then your experience is nirvana, the extinction of 
the ultimate reality with the extinction of craving. But if whatever's present in the moment, you are dissatisfied with it, want it to be different, want something that's present to be gone or something you don't have to be present, then it's samsara. And so whether whether it's samsara and nirvana, we say they're the same thing, or they're, they're completely different things, but that which you experience in the moment as, as samsara is the same thing as which uh, a, a, another being that's uh, free from craving experiences as nirvana. It's not in itself. Um, the ultimate reality of it is not different. The perceived reality is quite different. And if you look at how that comes about, the volitional formations of, of the past, which are basically what karma means. Karma means action, intentions, volitional formations. And every time that we have uh, generated those uh, and then had experiences that result from from those volitional formations, then they've, they've that's become a part of uh, that mass of mental formations that will determine future moments. So your present moment is determined by all of your volitional formations of the past, all of the times that you were impatient or angry or lustful or grateful or confused or deluded or anything else, they've all added up together and you have this cumulative mass of past experience, past subjective experience, flavored by what you want and what you don't want. And so when you have an experience when the when your when the body and the sense organs present to the mind a, a an experience in terms of a collection of sensations, that's the rupa khanda. That's of the five things that make you up. That's the, the aggregate of sensations. Some of those will be pleasant, and some will be unpleasant sensations. But your mind will react and interpret those, and that's where the perception comes in. And presto, you find yourself in a whole reality made up of things, some of which you like and some you don't like, and some you think that could be better than they are, and so forth, which puts you in a state of mind of uh, uh, well, th- those mental formations are either they in, in themselves are experienced as pleasant or unpleasant. So it really doesn't, the, whatever the pleasantness or unpleasantness of the sensations that you experience in the moment, like right now, the feeling of the air on your skin is probably rather pleasant. You know, temperature sensations uh, might be, depending on how you feel in the moment, some might be mildly unpleasant, some might be mildly pleasant. Uh, uh, the sounds that you hear and so forth might have some quality of pleasantness or unpleasant to them. But if your mind reacts, if you feel, if your feet are a little bit cold and your mind reacts, well, I don't like that. Or if uh, uh, 
it is something that your mind grasps onto in, in terms of wanting, and desiring and wanting something else or more of something, then your actual experience is going to be pleasant or unpleasant more on the basis of the activity of your mind than it is uh, in terms of the pleasantness or unpleasant or unpleasant quality of the sensations that actually arise in the moment. So it's your mind that is determining the nature of your reality in the moment, whether it's something that you like or something you don't like, or it's a mixture. I mean, often it's a mixture. Some things you like and some things you don't like. Mindful awareness is the whole key. (coughs) Mindful awareness is the key to seeing how this happens and understanding how it happens so that you can make a change in it. Because ultimately it is that, you know, collection of mental formations, and maybe Barb doesn't know what I mean by mental formations, but maybe I'll explain that, you know. From the time that you were born, your mind's been accumulating experiences and associations with the experiences and establishes its own relationships between those those things that are stored. And so everything that's ever happened to you and everything in particular everything that's ever done or every every emotion or feeling uh, that you've generated in response to things has conditioned your mind and I think you know you can see that it's a pretty common uh, Western psychological understanding is that that our the emotional content of our previous experiences and our emotional reactions uh, Condition our mind. Yeah. My, pers- my perspective. What's that? My perspective. Your perspective. Yeah, yeah. It's been built up, and, and everyone builds up a completely different perspective. And then there's all of those habitual ways that we have of responding. So that you know, if you just uh, just to use an example, if you're a person that. Uh, is always getting uh, annoyed uh, easily or impatient or so forth. Every time you do that, you condition your mind so that you're more likely to do that again and again. And so it just becomes more and more a part of your character. And you can extend that to absolutely all of those things that we call personality characteristics, is that they're things that, however they first started, uh, through habitual reactions, we reinforce them until they become who we are, or our personality, or our, our nature. And then there are those uh, intentional acts that we commit, uh, strong actions, and of course they arise out of, uh, out of desire or aversion or ignorance, or, you know, we feel... We feel pain uh, because of something that happens, and so we say and do something. And some of those actions that we do are have great magnitude, and the greater the magnitude of the actions. You know, if you feel pain and then you hurt somebody else in response to it, that makes an imprint on your mind, too. So all of these things that you've ever done, every single experience you have and every action you've ever performed, 
has made an imprint. And all of those cumulative imprints, those are the mental formations. That's the stuff out of which your present reality in any particular moment is going to be uh, generated. I mean, you have you have the experiences presented by your eyes and your ears and, and your body, your nose and your tongue. But what your mind does with it from that point is based on all these cumulative mental formations. And that's the thing, though, that we can change because uh, we do have the opportunity in, in every moment to basically create who we are in the future by the sorts of uh, intentions that we give rise to in the present moment. And so this is where mindfulness comes in. If you practice mindfulness in the present moment, then that's going to result in a different kind of mental formations being generated in the present moment as compared to if you're not mindful. So go back to the example if you're a person who's prone to irritability and impatience. If you practice mindfulness, then you see clearly, well, here I am being irritable and impatient again, and it doesn't feel good, and it makes me do things that uh, uh, I re- regret later, you know, but it's just the, the way that I have allowed myself to become, you know. But that, that perception that new perception that here I am, I've allowed myself to become a person who keeps reinforcing these negative mental states which make me and other people unhappy. That's a new kind of imprint. And every time it's repeated, it will tend to uh, counteract all of those previous uh, imprints. So uh, you can change who you are through the practice of mindfulness. And of course, when you come to the point where, I mean, if you're if you're habitually a, a, an impatient and irritable person, uh, at first you won't be able to do much about the mental state that has arisen. But uh, at some point, you'll be able to realize that well, I don't have to keep feeling this way. I can make the mental shift and just let go of that attitude and. Uh, turn my attention to something else that is um, some more positive perception. By the time you can do that, you've made a big step forward. And if you keep doing that, after a while, the positive mental states will be, they'll start to arise automatically because everything you do is conditioning your mind in a powerful way. And so the next step that comes is instead of becoming irritable and impatient, uh, you may recognize in the moment the potential for irritability, but instead you find your mind is just automatically setting that aside uh, and moving into a more positive mental state of, of acceptance or compassion or patience or you know whatever is appropriate to what was happening in the moment. It's in this way that this is this is a very gradual process by which samsara can become nirvana. It's a gradual way of working on yourself to produce change through mindfulness. 
But uh, the wonderful thing about it is that it is powerful enough that it acts rapidly enough that even though you might have spent uh, 30 or 40 or 50 years uh, accumulating all of the bad mental habits that cause you to dwell in samsara, you can, in the space of, of days or weeks or months, vastly change that through the practice of mindfulness and become a different kind of person. But there is a limit to, I mean, this, this is a gradual process and it takes a lot of time and it's also vulnerable because uh, certain circumstances will powerfully enough trigger those, uh, those negative aspects of the massive mental formations to throw you into a negative state. So even though you've gotten really good maybe at overcoming your tendency to irritability and patience, something can happen that is strong enough that it triggers you and once again you're, you're uh, in impatience at the least or, 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 or rage is <laughs> the other possibility. And you might say, well, what's happened to me? You know, I've been doing this, I've been doing this practice of mindfulness, I was doing so well and now all of a sudden, you know, here I am. I blew it. And that's because you still have all that old conditioning and you've added new conditioning and they're interacting with each other, but you haven't completely uprooted the causes of the negative mental states. And that's why the next stage in, in the practice, the next stage in the path that takes you from dwelling in samsara all of the time to dwelling in nirvana all of the time involves something much more powerful than just the day-to-day practice of mindfulness and the day-to-day working on and transformation of uh, your self or personality and characteristics. And that's what comes in meditation through profound insight because Insight is a cognitive experience that clearly allows you to see how this whole mess of things is happening. And when you have when you have insight and you penetrate right through the beginning of it, it automatically produces a much deeper change in the mind, much more powerful change in the mind than what you had previously doing, which was more working on the the outcomes of those deep causes. And so the way to permanently change and permanently overcome the, the negative tendencies is through, uh, through the experience of profound deep insight that makes a much more permanent and deeper change in the psyche. But you can't do that until you've actually done enough of the first. As long as you're still, uh, as, as long as you're still so completely caught up in samsara and all of the causes of samsara in your mind and in your personality, you won't be able to come to the place of, of insight. As long as, uh, as long as desire and aversion and, and delusion. Uh, 
are dominating your consciousness in every moment because you haven't done the preliminary work, uh, your mind's not going to be able to experience those insights into uh, why it is that you're having these negative experiences. So you've got to do some preliminary work first so that you can have the deeper insights that produce the more dramatic and permanent change in the mind. Well, if I was sitting in a cave, I could probably handle that one. But the first human changes that whole picture. You know, and, and that's what happens to people that sit in caves, and that's the sh- that's the downfall of sitting in caves, and that's the advantage of being in the world. Um, when you sit in, by, by going off and sitting in a cave, you remove yourself from all of those circumstances where you have to uh, have to work on these things in your mind. So your only hope sitting in a cave is you'll achieve all of the profound insights through your practice and become completely enlightened before you leave your cave and go and encounter a human being. Because if you're not able to do all of the work while you're in the cave, you know, it's a way of turning off all of the noise so that you can work on the, on the deeper practice. But if you, if you haven't completed the process while you're in the cave, then it's all going to come back again in a big rush. You know, and there's a story, I think I've repeated it to you before, of uh, a monk that that's exactly what happens to him. He goes off in a cave for some number of years, decides that he's completely enlightened, decides to go back to the monastery he came from, and the first the first village crossroads that he comes to where there are people and markets set up and animals and kids running around and stuff, he totally loses it. <laughs> I can't remember the details of the story, but uh, you know, some somebody does this thing to offend him, and then somebody else says that, and somebody says something, and before you know it, you know, all of the afflictions are, all of his mental afflictions are back in in full force. And uh, well, that's why you you need other people because they come, they show you your projections. I mean, they. The interaction that you have with other people is what gives you the opportunities right, to see yeah. what you do, you know, to observe yeah. how how you react and what you like, don't like, and all yeah. that. You know, that's your practice material, right? Right. And, and they, they, uh, other people help to, to to polish us and get rid of all our rough edges. So you go out and you take any rock off that mountain and you put it in a silk bag and the rock thinks to itself, oh, I'm so smooth, right? But you put two or three other ba- rocks the same kind in the bag and shake it up and now they're all scraping and rubbing against each other, right? And they're not so smooth after all. <laughs> so that's how we, we polish each other by uh, knocking off all of our rough edges. And the, the world's a tumbler for for polishing pebbles. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it brings a whole new meaning to choice. What you've just said for me. Yeah? Tell me about that. Well, 
pretty simple when you're thinking about it, but not so simple to bring it into action, I guess. So the first the first thing that would happen to to make it real, to bring it into your life, would be recognizing that you have a choice. Yeah. <coughs> and For then, sure. And then you're like kind of all those perceptions are let's see, what am I going to do mm-hmm. here? Yeah. Well the first thing is, is realizing that you have a choice about uh, what kind of person you are. Because everybody starts off optimistically thinking they have a choice about what kind of circumstances they're in and what other kind of people they have to be around. And that's the mistake they make because they go thinking, well, I don't like you anymore, so I'm going to go find somebody else. You know, And, and that's, that's the wrong choice. But when you realize that the real choice you have is in, in terms of what you do with yourself. Yeah. Because any situation is samsara depending on what your mind makes of it. It's your mind that makes it suffering or else it's your mind that makes it nirvana. And so uh, if, if your mind's going to make it into suffering, it doesn't matter. You can go jump from one situation to another. Your mind's going to make every one of those situations. Sooner or later, it's going to become suffering too. You know, so, but if you change your mind, you don't need to change your situation. And that's the choice that you have. And so what I was talking about earlier is there's the gradual way of changing your mind, which produces immediate fruits and benefits right away and improves your life right away. And you become, by your own standards and anybody else's, a much better person as a result of it. And people treat you better because they recognize that in you. So even the external circumstances do change at the same time. So that produces its immediate result. But the other part of it is also changing yourself, but at a deeper level. You say, why is it that my mind, you know, for my whole life has kept generating these kinds of uh, unwholesome mental states and unwholesome views that have given me so much trouble. If I could just fix that, then I wouldn't need to to unravel the 30 years of mess that's been accumulated or the 50 or 60 years of mess that's been accumulated. I just go right to the cause and fix it there. And, and that's that's the other part of changing uh, of changing yourself. But either one's equally good. Like I said last week, I, I think it was last week, or maybe it was the week before, I came back from California realizing that it's far more important, I think, for most people to stress the first kind of the possibility and, and uh, practicality of the first kind of change. Uh, and, and Because it has, to, it has to come before the second kind of change anyway. So to go talk to everybody about how they need to go and meditate and attain insight, 
before you've talked to them about how they need to change their daily perceptions uh, and reactions is really putting the cart before the horse or something like that. Some, some kind of analogy like that is appropriate. <laughs> so. But the two go together, of course. The very same meditation practice that leads you towards insight allows you to practice mindful awareness, allows you to recognize what's happening to you moment to moment and day by day in your daily life, and allows you to make those uh, collectively gradual but uh, practically immediate changes and to realize the immediate benefits. So you meditate, you experience serenity, you experience clarity of mind, and you go out in the world and you practice mindfulness and you can change your life right away. But then uh, the changes that you make, then you bring them back to the cushion when you sit down. And because of the changes that you've already made in your life and in your mind, uh, in your meditation, you go to a much deeper level, and the profound, uh, uh, ultimately transforming uh, insights then can much more readily arise. But the ultimate choice that you have is you don't have to keep on suffering and you don't have to keep on making your life worse. You can immediately, in the present moment, start making your life better. And reducing the amount of suffering, both that you experience and that you cause. And that's another very important part of this, is that because of our suffering, we cause suffering to others. You know, it's just uh, the one follows from the other. Um, as, as soon as we start suffering, we uh, are immediately prone to... Uh, speech and action that contribute to the suffering of others. And we're not oblivious to that. So when we see the suffering that we cause, then we take that in and it adds further to our own suffering. So. Okay, I babbled on. You wanted me to talk about what I thought about. <laughs> So, but the initial thing that you asked about was, was we're always reminding ourselves that samsara and nirvana are the same thing. And it's really mindful awareness, isn't it? If we if if we always remind ourselves that nirvana and samsara are the same thing, what we're doing is reminding ourselves that. If we're experiencing samsara, we don't have to. It is our choice, and we, we, uh, it's completely up to us. Uh, that's another way of putting exactly, uh, of saying exactly the same thing. Nirvana and samsara are the same. Is saying that that uh, pain and pleasure, physical pain and pleasure, are an inevitable part of human existence, but. Uh, Suffering and happiness are entirely a matter of choice. And I think also when you're doing that first step where you're um, 
seeing how you can change change your uh, mind and take responsibility for for what your situation is. That as your as your life gets better, um, you begin to love yourself more because a lot of more love comes your way, and you don't have to beat yourself up so much and feel that you're not worthy. Because uh, I think if you're ever going to get to compassion, you have to get to a place where you feel that you're that you're yeah. a, a divine being. You're really right about that, and that's so important. Yeah, because so many people, you know, they're so busy feeling badly about themselves. I mean, you know, I th- I think most of the people out there in the world go around, uh, you know, they they may be acting like they think they're the greatest, but inside they feel like you know they're they're really disgusted with themselves, disappointed with themselves, don't like themselves, feel inadequate feel like they're in some sense or another uh, uh, bad persons, you know, and yeah, you need to start loving yourself. And I think that from my own experience that getting to a place where you um, start seeing these changes in yourself and really uh, see that you can make a choice, that that is, then you begin to feel like Wow, I I am a good person, you know. Yeah. I I am making some good choices, mm-hmm. and then everything changes around you. Everybody looks different. Everybody mm-hmm. seems different. Everybody seems much nicer. Yeah. And and then you feel like you both are capable of changing and deserve a positive change. You know, and you can give that as a gift to other people, too. Because uh, no matter how bad somebody else may appear to you in your eyes and your judgment, inside they're actually the same as you, and they probably think of themselves in such a bad way. So if you can, can, uh, if you can communicate to other people that they, too, are... They too are beautiful, wonderful, deserving of better than that they're giving themselves. Then it gives them a chance to change. So, so if we can, if we can appreciate the perfection of everyone else, that's a great gift. Not to mention, make us feel a lot better, because because you don't feel good being in the presence of somebody you think is an absolute scoundrel. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a win-win situation all around <laughs>